And I thought to myself, training in our country is as competent as theirs. And we have exactly the same equipment. We have exactly the same tools to make the health solution happen. So why cannot give access to all these people that could lose everything in the way? From my point of view, that was like the spark that made us start this project. everybody. This is Mike Andrade with the Solving Healthcare podcast. As you know, we seek to identify and promote companies that are positively disrupting the healthcare space. And today our guests are two doctors, a medical director and a founder of a company called MD. Dr. Ethel Guinto is a licensed surgeon and also the medical director of MD. And Dr. David Ancona is also a surgeon and the co-founder of MD. What do they do? What problem do they try to solve? Well, listen in to learn more. No, thank you. Thank you for answering. We are very interested in working with you. Yeah, no, glad that you guys found me. I'm always looking for companies that are trying to positively disrupt healthcare, and you guys have a unique solution. Really looking to understand more about how you work why you started your business, a little bit about the foundation. And David, I'm assuming that you have a story about why you started. As I understand it, David, you are one of the co-founders, MD, and Dr. Guinto, you are the medical director. I'm assuming you're still both practicing physicians or practicing surgeons, is that correct? Yes, we are. Awesome. So, Ethel, could you give us a little bit of background on what you do? Well, I am an ophthalmologist, So of course, I am an MD. Then I have some postgraduate training in anterior segment microsurgery, especially complex cataract surgeries, cornea transplants, refractive laser surgery, that kind of stuff. That's my, my ground. Awesome. How long have you been practicing medicine? Well, I've been practicing medicine for around eight years now. Recently, but I am the medical director of this beautiful project called MD. And as medical director, what is your primary role or primary outcome that you're trying to achieve? It's a very interesting question. My primary job is to make sure that we have the competence, the physicians that we add to our network and the facilities that we choose to make our procedures also are competent and they go by the rule. I mean, you probably already have seen what MD is about and Probably the first thing you need to know is that we are not a big hospital. We are not a facility. We see ourselves as a solution, health providers in a different way. We disrupt this idea. We fit into medical tourism, but we don't do the medical tourism in the way that it's expected. So my main goal is to make sure that everything is world-class to suit these very high expectations that our patients will have from us. Yeah, I would also probably suggest, and probably not the first time that you've heard it, but having a high quality standard, it's even more important from folks traveling from wherever to you all, just because any bad reputation, any bad outcome could affect years of successes and future patients that could get the benefit of your service. And so as I understand it, then quality control and making sure you have the right base of physicians that not only are great at what they do, but they understand what quality means and 
not just means for the individual patient, but practicing rigorous standards for maintaining quality, that it just means you can promote your message even more. Did I get you correctly? Yes, of course. All right. Thank you for that. And Dr. Ancona, David, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Sure. Thank you, Mike. I'm originally from Cozumel, which is a little island close to Cancun, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. And I became an ophthalmologist. I studied in Mexico City. After that, I did a specialty in retina surgery in the same hospital, which is one of the largest hospitals and most renowned in the country. And after that, I was recruited by one top ocular oncologist in Philadelphia. So I studied there for a year. And I did my full training in Willside Hospital, which is considered to be probably the most renowned ocular condition hospital in the United States. So with that background, I had the opportunity to experience medicine in Mexico and in the U.S. both. And I did see the strengths between what we have over here in Mexico and what you guys have over there in the United States. That's what started raising some questions and started vibrating inside me and my colleagues inside MD that maybe we could figure out a way of making it all work. Yeah, so let me ask you a question on that, because you said uh, you have a unique perspective of having practiced in the U.S. and also practicing in Mexico. You said you had a feeling inside, but what I'm curious to know is your impression of medicine in the U.S., your perspectives as physicians, but then also what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Absolutely. And I would answer you with two bullet points. One is you were talking previously about quality, and I do believe that that's very important in having a standard of education of medical physicians. I think it's super important. For example, one requirement for all our doctors is to have prime training elsewhere, especially in the US, Canada, and Europe. So you would find that within our network, and that is you wouldn't get invited if you didn't feel those qualifications. So that's number one. And number two is that we still believe that patients need to be taken into consideration and be considered people and not so numbers or just a random file. So we believe on treating patients with warmth. And I believe, as you were saying in one of your previous podcasts, that the US, like 20 years ago, you used to have more warmth or you could get one one-on-one with your doctor for more time. We will still believe that because that's still possible in Mexico in spite of all the huge volume of patients. And I do believe we still have that we can share with patients abroad. I understand. And that's a great point in that the administrative side of medicine is creeping over more than creeping on the physician side to where, yeah, you either just don't have enough time to have a quality relationship with a patient. But also in terms of the cost involved, what I'm curious to know is from your position as practicing medicine in multiple countries. How does everybody view the U.S. healthcare system? Well, I've experienced in medicine in the U.S. in two different forms. The first one that I came in touch with was with family medicine, like a family practitioner. And it really struck me that people could lose their lifetime savings when they had an emergency. If they couldn't afford the cost out of pocket, or if their insurance just didn't cover it. It kind of didn't make sense to me that that was the only way that things could be done there. 
later on in life, I had a chance to be at uh, Johns Hopkins. And when I was there, I saw my fellow fellows and I thought to myself, training in our country is as competent as theirs. And we have exactly the same equipment. We have exactly the same tools to make the health solution happen. So why cannot give access to all these people that could lose everything in the way? From my point of view, that was like the spark that made us start this project. Great point. Thank you, Dr. Guinto. What I'm hearing you say is the passion that you have is twofold. One, you want to just be able to provide good bedside manner, good care to your patients, an element you believe is missing in much of medicine, but then also affordability is a huge problem in the U.S. And also the variability of price is uh, magnificently different. Like my wife is a great example. She takes an injection that depending on where she goes, it can be $4,000 to $30,000 per injection. And it's the same box. And the funny thing is, is the one that gets paid more doesn't practice as well because the nurses aren't as well trained. And so there's just no apparent relationship between cost and quality at all within the healthcare system. And so in terms of price, you had mentioned that you guys are medical tourists. I've heard it described as medical tourism all the way to destination health. And the way I typically understand healthcare tourism is that there's a facility that you would have uh, that's owned by a group of doctors or the group owns it. You advertise to get patients to come to you. And for that, you get better quality, world-class quality, but then also the price is substantially lower than what you could get in the U.S. Now, how is your system the same or different than what I just described? Well, we are essentially different because we don't own a facility. We don't have a hospital, a large hospital or a small clinic. We give our patients more of a health experience. Mm -hmm. What we actually do, we could be described as a medical hub, but it would be like a reductionist definition for what we do. What we actually do is we connect the patient with a physician that is the best suited person to solve the case. And then we'll link the two of them to the best facility with the specific qualifications they need to get that problem solved. In the way, we make sure that our patient has an excellent experience from the moment they set foot on earth from the airport and through all the way around the city. We have an international coordinator walking them through all the process. We don't leave them alone in any part of the way until they go back home. And even then, we are always talking to them in the follow-up so that we can make sure that it's not just you get your surgery done and we'll never see you again. We are also every time in this position to talk to their attendees back home so that we can stay connected in the follow-up there. So Basically, what we do is we connect the specific dots to make this health experience happen. And as we cut the middlemen in between, we can lower the costs, we can get the best physicians with the training is specifically for what needs to be done, and we get the best facilities. Do you have a comparison standard? In the U.S., we would ask you to say, what is your relation to Medicare as a percentage that you would typically charge? Do you have a similar ratio that U.S. employers could understand what would be the difference between 
what a U.S. hospital may charge versus what you guys would charge? Yes, and I'd like to answer to that question and maybe just give a little bit of further information about your previous question. So let me put in, into your example something that is part of my expertise, which is ophthalmology, right? So just saying cataract surgery, for example, we have done quite a lot of research for quite some years now on what are the typical costs of a cataract surgery in the U.S. And it is usually around 9000 to $10,000 for each eye. So that would be typically, as they appear around the same time, you would need to have $20,000 right in that moment. A lot of people, almost 50%, and this is like statistics that were done by Harvard University, typically people don't know if their insurance cover it right until they need it. And that's when they find out that they weren't covered or that the fees, the hidden fees that are in there, you know, inside what they sign, I just forgot the name of it right now. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, the hidden charges, that's what pops up. And more often than not, it ends up being even more than that. So. When you compare the same surgery here in Mexico, and uh, we have a lot of people here in Mexico who paid out of pocket, because usually it is more approachable as to medical insurance, you would get for the same exact intraocular lens and the same exact surgery with the same exact equipment and with highly trained physicians, the same surgery for $2,000 each eye. So that's a big gap that we have finding it out. So what we've been able to offer is maybe for an extra price, we get even premium lenses, let's call it VIP intraocular lenses that might not be always available in the US. For example, we have German lenses and Belgium lenses that are also quite good and haven't reached that they might be a little bit further down the road on innovation. So we are able to provide that for our patients and that usually translates into a very satisfied patient. So to sum it up, that's how I would put it. And that has been a lot of work, as Dr. Ginto said, between a lot of partnerships, agreements, and the fact that we don't have like a physical hospital, but rather we work with the hospitals for places that we can achieve attractive for prices with the same quality standards. Yeah. So what you've described is a combination. The charges itself in the US are typically unbundled. So if you see a doctor, they're paid one thing. Hospitals paid one thing. The anesthesiologist might be paid another thing. And if there's radiology involved, all of those. And that's when you tend to get the surprise bill of what's covered or not covered on the insurance policy. It upsets and frustrates a lot of people. What I'm hearing you say is that you give a bundled service. So all of those things in the US come with one price. So that $18,000 you said in the US may not include some of those other things, but your 4,000 or 2,000 per eye mm-hmm. going to give you a base model lens. Plus you can buy up to stuff that may not be approved in the US, but better quality. Did I get that right? Correct. Yeah. And also what is very important is the transparency because you would get it like there's no hidden fees with us. So we would stay very close to the initial price that we would do for you while we know your specific ailment or need. Yeah, so let me ask a question. So maybe eye surgery is not the right example, but let's just say like I had shoulder surgery in 2005. Doctor went in and they said, oh, we found a partially torn bicep tendon that we didn't see in the imaging. And so they fixed it. But I'm sure my insurance company was billed a bit more. If that happens where you just didn't see it all, what happens with the price to the patient? We always advise our patients to have like an extra saving in case of these things that may appear, may happen. 
And even if we take those in consideration, we have an amount, a range that we can tell our patients with a lot of confidence that it won't get over that. Even if the worst thing happens, we will get past that number that we previously gave them. Okay, fair enough. Just curious, because that's one of the things that's very common. That's uh, okay. it's either upcoded or just a revelation that happens while you're in there. So, yeah, I like to comment on that, and uh, I would just like to give you an example that just happened to us in the middle of the pandemic, which also raises the question about how big is the need for this type of alternatives. We had this young lady that she was original from Australia, and she got stuck in America. She was traveling with her boyfriend when this pandemic started. So she came to us looking for LASIK surgery, and she ended up not being the best candidate to perform the surgery, right? So we had estimated a price for her that she had previously agreed on with that range that Dr. Ginto recently just talked about. But when she came to us and we did a full exam, we did tell her, you know what, you ended up not being the best of the candidates. So above all, we prioritize to be super safe. The safety is how we treat all our patients from here or from abroad. We treat them with the same quality. So we do tell that in advance, specifically to these surgeries, that you don't know until the very moment if they are best candidates for it. I understand. But how often does that happen? Very rare. Yeah. Super rare. Yeah, yeah, especially the quality of imaging now. It probably doesn't happen very often, but you got to know that it's a practice of medicine and there, something could come up, if I'm hearing you correctly. So I guess I'm curious now, if I heard you correctly, and also with some of the literature that I've seen that Ariel sent to me, it seems like you're about a third to half the price of what you typically spend in the U.S. Is that correct? Yes, that's, that's correct. very accurate. Okay. And so, that amount is taking in consideration the bundle, which in our cases include most of the time the accommodation and the transportation. We even try to estimate an amount of money that they would spend on food or that kind of stuff so that they can have a very transparent and very global image of the whole amount that they will spend on the trip including almost everything, medication, transportation, everything. So walk me through the patient experience. So this podcast is primarily designed for employers that have a self-funded plan, meaning that they write the check, there's going to be some stop loss, but somebody else will administer the plan. And so walk me through, once you've identified a patient that could be a candidate, how you go from identify a patient to make sure that what they have really you guys can provide a solution for, or maybe through a second opinion, you can rule out certain things from getting to your service, to having the service, to going home. Does that question make sense? Well, in the world we're living right now, we will be failing if we don't make use of the technology that we have access to. So in one case like this, for example, a patient contacts us. And from the moment they contact us, the first thing that we will do is to get into their medical records and to ask for additional support information that can support the diagnostic. And this will be immediately sent to one of our physicians. They go through like something like a triage, like an electronic triage, and we will send them directly with a specific person that will be following up the case. Once we have this documental support, we proceed to tell them, well, our opinion is this or that. 
most of the time we have an electronic remote session with a conversation, direct conversation from the patient with a physician, with a specialist that will be following up the case. That's like the very first steps that we take every single time that a patient puts in contact with us. I believe also what is important on that same question is we have approached and managed some agreements with employers in the United States because what makes it happen is that transparency on the price. Because you need to remember that in terms of medical tourism, is not the same type of surgeries, I would say, that you would encounter as in a hospital in the U.S. because we do not tend to manage acute problems or ER problems, right? It's right. more of things that people already know they have. For example, a cataract or the physician or their general practitioner told them that they had it before. So that it's a good mark for us to know or to plan ahead of time. And that gives us time. And so when employers approach us and say, you know, we have this many people that could benefit from, let's say, an ophthalmology exam or maybe, uh, I don't know, even a hip replacement or whatever, that allows us to be very certain on the price. And that ultimately is very attractive to them. Oh, yeah, I understand totally. At this point, I think we're good with knowing that your price is where it is and how you get there, as well as addressing some of the uncertainty. But it's really more from the patient experience, the engagement. So you've got to have a welcoming person, a patient intake. But then also what I would expect is that you're going to get some information. You're going to use technology to your advantage. You're going to have a patient consult where it's some type of a telephonic or virtual consult. But you got to make sure that if somebody says, hey, I need a knee replacement or knee surgery, that you take a look at their knee before they get here to make sure it's actually what they need, right? And then when they get to see you, there's probably a second validation point to make sure that you didn't make a mistake or there wasn't some type of misinterpretation of whatever. Like putting your hands on the patient, that's got to be valuable even more so than the front-end technology piece, right? Of course. Once the patient gets here, we will assess the case once more and we will ask for colleagues of the same specialty to kind of make a consensus that they are all in agreement with the procedure. If one of them has some different opinion, they will have to discuss it upfront with a patient, knowing which are the consequences of doing it, not doing it, or even which are other options that we can offer in each case. We cannot stay still with having only one opinion, one diagnosis, and one treatment on a line. We need to have this certainty and this consensus that most of the time we need to get from our own colleagues. Yeah. So even if you get a peek on the network that we have of physicians, we have several physicians doing the same specialty because some of them are maybe, for example, us. We are experts in the eye and we are experts in different parts of the eye. So we could have knee specialists, but it doesn't mean that you cannot have like this consensus, again, validation with other orthopedic surgeons so that we are very certain that we are doing the right thing for the patient, the best mm -hmm. thing for it. And that's huge because in the U.S., we would call like uh, cowboy medicine or caballero medicine, where a single physician could make the determination, get it approved, have the surgery, and so could bring into question whether or not the surgery needed to happen. What I'm hearing you say is you have a collaborative approach to make sure we have the right diagnosis and you have a second set of eyes or third set of eyes to make sure that it's the right treatment for that patient. And that's a huge differentiator. 
I'm glad we brought that up because that is a very meaningful consideration, especially for a plan sponsor or an employer that wants to sign a contract with you, but has to answer the question of their employees, how is medicine going to be different if we get you to Mexico? And that's a pretty big differentiator because for me, I don't want to have surgery, but if I have to, I'm going to want to be incentivized for uh, traveling, but then I want to make sure that the treatment is correct, period. And so that's a pretty huge testimonial. I just comment something on that, Mike. Sure. I would make it simple. I would explain it as that we have the filters that prevent that from happening is normally every patient that we get is going to have three or even four filters at some point. So if they do see an, a U.S. or many U.S. physician prior that they know they're previously candidates, that would be the first filter. But also, as Dr. Ginto said, we would get like a consensus. And also, every time prior to any patient coming, we have a virtual meeting in which we would ask further questions. You know, the doctor would ask further questions to know more about the patient. And that would be the third filter. And when they come, they would again get now a full physical exam to see what are their needs. So I would say in a way, it would be even safer as so many eyes have already seen that patient and that when they get up to the OR, they would be not 100, but maybe 200% sure that the surgery is the correct one and that it is absolutely necessary. Also, I would just like to point out that when it becomes a little bit difficult, for example, knee surgery, we do have partnerships with clinics radiology clinics, around 200 clinics in, around the U.S., where we could request an MRI if the patient cannot have it at a hospital because it's too costly for them. We have arranged a, a very affordable price with 200 clinics scattered all around the U.S. And with that information, they would send it to us and then we would review here in Mexico those, I'm saying MRI, but it can be any imaging study. And again, that would also ascertain that the patient is receiving their correct treatment, right? Yeah, and I'm not sure if you work with a lady by the name of Dr. Kristen Dickerson with Green Imaging, but if you don't, she could double that 200 and give you more of a nationwide footprint as well. So she's, she's actually our partner. No, she's amazing. And we've already done a podcast with her, so I don't even do that again. But I'm glad you use her because her company is absolutely amazing, fits well within your model as well. So walk me through in terms of the specialties that you provide, not all of them, but are there any specialties you stay away from? At first, we were planning only on having ambulatory surgeries that were very safe. But as we grew, the network grew as well. And right now, we have around 22 different specialties. And by specialties, I will dare to say ultra specialties. Because as I told you before, even in the specialty world, we will choose very specialized people inside the specialty. I mean, we can have orthopedic surgeons, but not all of them are shoulder surgeons, wrist surgeons, hand surgeons. And we, we want to go over there. We want to make sure that you're being taken care by the very best suited person for the work. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the interesting thing in the US, you guys are describing a very specialized network of doctors, right? So 22 specialties. But in the US, you have a very broad network and so you can have top 10% doctor in the same specialty as a bottom 10% doctor, but the quality outcomes between the two can vary significantly. And if you look at like heart surgery, the difference between the bottom 10% and the top 10%, it kind of increases your chance of death by a factor of four. 
But there's no way to know that with a typical healthcare network because that type of quality rating is not provided. So what I'm hearing you say is your job at the front end is to not just have a broad network, but is to have the best doctors that you can have available and then figure out the right patient for them based on their needs. Yes, as you said it before, prestige is everything for us. We can do several things very well, but if we mess up with one, that could take down everything that we have built. Yeah, yeah, understand totally. And did I describe your system correctly? You don't own a hospital, but you really contract directly with hospitals. You pick the right and the best physicians, and then you get bundled pricing. Yes, and if we have the large hospitals make the negotiations, the cost will go over skyrocket. So if we cut them from the process and we still work with them by providing the service, but not being the people who treat directly to the patient, that's the way we can make things work yeah. without lower cost. That's mm-hmm. a fantastic setup. And so I applaud you for your efforts. And it's a blessing to get in touch with you and to know you all. So I didn't ask the question, but I'm assuming that you work with self-funded employers. How do you typically do that? Do, the, do you contract directly with an employer or do you go through a third-party administrator or how does that typically work? Our first approach is we're with working with TPAs and we still do that, but we are really looking to work directly with employers because that way, then again, by cutting the people in the middle, we can make it work even better for both parts. Okay. The question I didn't ask is, how do you get, do you arrange all of the transportation to get somebody from the U.S. or wherever to your facility, arrange for transportation while they're there, all of that stuff? All of it. We have a very specific international coordinator for every patient. Mm-hmm. And part of his job is to be a companion to the patient through all the process. We pick them at the airport, we take them to the recommendation, we do the transportation between the clinics, the hospitals, what needs to be done in the middle, and we take care of the patient like a very part of our own family. We see it that way. We are passionate for treating the people the way we want them to treat us. We want it to be treated as that if we were the patients. So one of the things that I like a lot, and David talked about it before, is that we can't have that here. We as physicians are able to have this extra time for our patients. We can have uh, personalized care. We can have warmth. We can transmit trust. And that is like the very core of what medicine is, actually. If we want to heal, we need to establish that kind of connection with our patients. We're not just interested in solving, in having a surgery done. We want people to get back home and feel grateful for having this health experience with us. So let me ask you, when somebody gets home, does care stop there? No, absolutely not. We have a follow-up. Every physician takes care of their patient, even if he or she goes back home. We stay in contact if we can with their attendees there, in the case they are referrals from physicians in the United States. And we, at least for the estimated recovery time, full recovery time, depending on the type of surgery that has been done, we stay in contact in very, very in touch with the patient. Yeah, yeah. I was just asking, because assuming like a knee replacement or knee surgery, there's absolutely physical therapy that needs to be involved, plus 
a physician to oversee that. And it was uh, making sure that what the instructions were, if you would be involved to make sure that the physical therapy is happening. I'm assuming there's some questions that you would ask of the therapist, that type of thing. So, Of course, because surgery is just one little part of the healing process. It doesn't end there. So in terms of how you guys make money, how do you get paid? So normally we charge uh, through MD. MD manages all that, and that also makes it easier for doctors and for patients. We charge them here with credit cards. And a good thing to know is that we can also give you an invoice that in some states, currently in some states already, they can ask for a refund. And this is especially important in places other, and this is not only in U.S., such as the case as in Spain, where they can get like uh, days off out of when they get the invoice and, you know, that they had a medical procedure here with us. So we already got that covered. Those little bits and pieces that we have stitched together for them to make it work. And we make it quite easy too for the patient. So normally we would ask them for 50% of the total charge to be in advance and they would end up paying prior to their surgery, the full cost. And MD charges a commission. We don't have like a specific amount for every single thing. We have a commission according to the procedure that's been done. And that's how MD gets its part. Yeah. And so my question was more along the lines over there. I'm assuming so that the example of $4,000, the MD payments included in that $4,000. Of course. Of course. We'll make so much emphasis on that. We will have no hidden fees there. That extra commission, it's already on the budget that we're giving the patients. Yeah. So in terms of the bundled fee, just making sure there's no additional fees that an employer would have to pay, making the network accessible. But your compensation is built into the fee that you quote for the service itself. We've also guaranteed the best exchange currency once they are here. We don't want people bringing their money, but in case, cash, I mean, but in case of the exchange needed, we have even those kind of arrangements with banks so that they can have the best rate possible. Understood. Okay. So let me ask a question now. I've asked a lot of questions and I typically wait to the payment one to the end just because that's just how, no rhyme or reason, it's just how it works. But is there something that I didn't ask that I should have asked that you want to make sure that the audience understands about MD? Well, I would like to add that we offer a wide range of other services, not just the surgical solutions. We have like the, for example, the second opinion in which even if you don't come with us to get the treatment done and you are filling queries about the diagnosis that you have been given, you can send us your medical records. We can do still that kind of consensus and offer you the second opinion so that you can be really sure that you are being treated in the best way possible. We have uh, checkups, for example, it would be great for employers. The preventive medicine is really great for us because you can get around the city and you can have a full checkup in just a couple of days. People who are currently staying in the country or traveling for business or having a vacation, or even if you have a very expensive medication and you want to come with us so that our physicians can prescribe it to you and you can go back home with a big batch of it, we can do that for you. Yeah, so another thing that's happening now is like the cost of specialty injections. And so sometimes there's injections that happen in a hospital. They must be administered by 
a nurse, either because the medicine has mm-hmm. to be stored in a certain way or whatnot. But those, like my wife's a great example. Those, the price varies significantly. So I'm assuming that you guys would do that as well. You could procure them. Yeah. Here, really, we don't have that kind of trouble. We could have a little bit of variation according to the hospital or clinic that we choose to do the procedure on, but it will be a very standard price. Yeah, yeah. I wish I knew that in advance because I would have sent you the name of the script and we would have said, okay, because Medicare pays about $4,000 for that. And so that would have been interesting to know. Uh, All right. Anything else that I should have asked that maybe we didn't cover? No, I would like to say just that it's all about the experience that you'll get. And I would say we would love for people to get to know us a little bit better because that is truly our core to treating patients as real people. And Mexico having a great background on already being a tourist destination and being a, you think of a Mexican person as somebody that welcomes you to their house. And so we want to share that too in this company that we have created. And it is with great love and with great passion that we have put together doctors that we feel we're very proud and we will let our family and friends be treated by them. And having that experience really, really makes us want to keep pushing this to make it bigger and more people to know us. So people that have been here in Mexico priorly for maybe for vacation have gone to Cancun, Mexico City, elsewhere. Our health section is as great as probably the awesome beaches we have over here. So I would like to invite you guys to visit our website. It has tons of information. We're super happy to help you with anything, any way we can. Yeah. So David, if somebody wants to get hold of you, uh, your company, how do they do that? So we have a social media. We have to have social media in this day and age, but that would be MD web. So that's M D E E web and that mdweb.com. You find us in Instagram. You find us in our, through our website, Facebook, everywhere. At Instagram and Facebook, you can find us as MD Health, M-D-W-E Health, at MD Health. The last thing I would add is that as we are passionate about treating our patients, we are also passionate and we take really pride in our doctors. I mean, when we are talking about surgical specialties and having a surgery done, the actual thing is that numbers matter. And our physicians Let's take, for example, the cataracts example, because that's what we do on a daily basis. There is a natural difference between a physician who has done the procedure for, let's say, in a good scenario, 100 times versus one of our physicians who has done it for more than a 1,000 times. When you have hands-on experience of so many complex cases, that also should make our patients feel very safe and very, very assured that we are giving them the best treatment possible. Definitely a, a different and nuanced approach because uh, healthcare in America doesn't necessarily work that way. It's how you get referred and not a lot of reliance on quality, at least in my experience. And so it's refreshing to hear your perspective and also to feel your passion. I feel, Dr. Ginto and Dr. Ancona, your passion about what you do, not just about providing quality medicine, but the healing that you want to provide to people as if they are your family. And so that rings and resonates true with every word you've said. So I am sincerely blessed to have you both as guests of the show. And I can't thank you enough for finding me. No, it's such a great pleasure you inviting us, Mike, because we're such huge fans of your podcast. We almost get together to listen to it. So this is 
this is overwhelming for us to be over here with you. But awesome. yeah, you know, you keep us inspiring us and come up with different ideas. We're truly learning again in this process. This is very, in many ways, very innovating and new. So we stand on the shoulders of giants and truly listen to what's good and what hasn't worked for people and try to improve it and make it better. So we thank you for the invitation, really. And we hope to maybe have us again if you want, if we haven't bored you. <laughs> we might seem young, but we conversate with passion, with passion and determination and desire to make things happen in a very positive way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Solving Healthcare. If you like this episode, please rate it and also provide your comments. If you would like to know how this service or others could fit within your organization, or if you'd like to sign up for future podcasts and news updates, please go to www.solvinghealthcare.net and click on contact. Thank you.